and then Daniel and co. will speak to us. So the reading is from Genesis uh, on page uh, 15, starting at uh, chapter 15, verse 7. Okay. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Well, good evening, Christchurch. One of the... <laughs> One of, the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do uh, is, is be a parent. And part of being a parent is disciplining our children. And I realized that, hey, can you, can you sit down? I, I realized that when, when they disobey, one of the things that we do in our house is we give them a timeout. And what a timeout is, is that they stand, face the wall, and they have to think about what they've done. And our time, the timeout lasts for as long as as many minutes as they are old, so my oldest gets six minutes, our youngest gets three minutes. Um, and so after their time out, many times they're in tears and they, they, uh, they need a hug. And so I, I, we always try to hug them after the time out because we're telling them, hey, I love you um, and, and I want to make, sure make sure you understand that, that, that my giving you a time out is not, is not rejecting you. And I realized that, I realized that for myself, I need that kind of reassurance as well. Um, and so my wife and I, we will we'll say, I love you, uh, because we want that assurance. 
We want confidence that we're secure, that we have a relationship that is, that is solid, and that we're taken care of. And, so, and I think all of us need assurance sometimes, don't we? All of us want to know that we are secure. We want to know that somebody's going to keep their promise. We want to know that we're safe. Today we'll be talking about assurance. And we're going to see how God makes a promise to a man. And that man asks for assurance. And we're going to see how God does that. And we're also going to see how significant this promise is for history. Uh, we've been going through this series in Genesis. And one thing that we notice in Genesis is, is this cycle that happens. And so I like to call this cycle decline and reset. Decline and reset. So first we have God created, God created man and woman in the garden. And everything is perfect. And then there's a decline. They disobey God. They sin. And sadly, God has to banish them from the garden. But it just gets worse after that, doesn't it? We have, we have Cain murdering his brother Abel. And the people, the, the descendants of Adam and Eve get, get more and more wicked. Until we get to, a, we get to the, the time of Noah. And God sees that, that the hearts of men are wicked. And God, because he's a righteous God, because he's a just God, has to do something for the world. And he has to wipe out mankind from the world. And he does this with a flood. And so he has to wipe out mankind. And he resets. He starts over with Noah. And he kind of gives Noah the same kind of orders that he gave Adam to populate the earth and to take care of it. And we don't read that much further when we see a decline again. And the descendants of Noah, Noah's family, as they get, as they get larger, they want to have a great name. And they want to have a name that's greater than God, and they want to build this tower that reach up, reaches up to the heavens. And God sees that man's hearts are wicked again. And if you remember, God promised Noah that he wouldn't wipe out the earth again. And so instead of wiping out the earth, God decides to scatter everyone by having them speak different languages. And all those different languages become different nations as people are scattered. And then God decides to reset again. And he chooses one man. And that man's name is Abram. We'll find out later on that his name changes to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abram. And he says, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. I want want you to leave your people. And I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. There's a key scene in the, in, the, in, the, in the film, The Fellowship of the Ring. And it's not, this is not in the book, but when, when the, the two hobbits, Frodo and Sam, are, are taking the ring to Rivendell to keep it safe, there's a part as, they, as they're leaving the Shire that Sam stops. And he says, this is it. 
If I go any further, this is the farthest away from home I've ever been. And he stops to ponder that for a second. And you realize that Abraham does the same thing, doesn't he? He's never been this far away from home. And he goes, he goes away from everything he knows. If you have the church Bible, what you can do is you can actually see this on the map. And I just want you to take a look at how far Abraham goes. This is, this is, uh, you, this is the map here. You look at how far Abraham goes. And I want you to just think for a second about how much faith this took. Especially in a family-based society for him to leave his family and to go to a land because he heard a voice. And so Abram goes to the land of Canaan, the, the, land, that, the land that he is told to go to. And in, in chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abram. And there's different parts of the promise. And he says, he says to Abram, you're going to have a great family. I'm going to make a nation through your family. And so what God is doing is he's resetting and he's starting a new nation. He's not choosing one of the nations that were created at Babel. But he starts a new nation with Abram. And he says, you're going to have a great family. You're going to be a great nation. And then he also tells him that he's going to have this land, the land of Canaan where he is. He tells him that he's going to, he, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make your name great. Now, if you remember, the people at Babel wanted to make their own name great. But God decides to make Abram's name great. And then finally, God says, I'm going to bless you. But it's not going to end there. I'm going to bless you and your nation so that other nations will be blessed as well. So just to recap, there's three major parts of this, of this promise that God makes to Abram in chapter 12. One, he gets the land, that his family will get the land. Two, he's going to be a great nation. And three, he's going to be blessed so that his nation will bless other nations. And that takes us to our passage this morning. If you turn with me to chapter 15, uh, Genesis chapter 15, um, and that incidentally is on page 15. Genesis chapter 15. And what we, what we saw last week is that Abram is hearing from God again. And God speaks to him. And Abram asks a question. He says, Sovereign Lord, what can, you give me, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? You're telling me that I'm going to be a great nation, that I'm going to have this big family, but I don't even have any kids. I don't have any children. I don't have any descendants. I have an heir. Back then, if you didn't have any kids, your, your heir would be your servant. And so Abram says, well, I have this servant who's in my household. He's going to be my heir. And God tells Abram, no, you're going to have an heir, but it's not going to be that guy. It's not going to be that, it's not going to be that servant that you have. You're going to have a flesh and blood son, and from that son, you're going to have a great nation. You're going to have a big family. And then God takes Abram outside and, and at night, and he has him look up at the stars, and he says, Abram, can you see the stars? Can you count the stars? And Abram is looking at the stars, remembering that it's God who created all this. And God says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. That's how many descendants 
you're going to have. You're going to have as big a family as there are stars in the heavens. And so after that, the Bible says Abram believed God, and God considered Abram to be righteous. Very important verse in the Bible. That leads us to today, where Abram asks another question from God. And it's kind of similar to the first question he asked. But what he's doing, what Abram's doing is he's asking for assurance. Now, I want, I want you to, before we read his question, I want, to make so, I want us to make, make something very clear. I, I don't believe that, that Abram disbelieves God. I don't believe that this is a lack of faith. Because just before, in verse 6, it says Abram believed God. But I believe what, what Abram's asking for is assurance. Just like when my kids come up to me and say they want a hug because they want to know that I love them. And so, verse 7. He, God, God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So Abram is asking, how do I know I'm going to get it? How do I know that I'm going to receive this this land? How am I going to know that the blessing is mine? How do I know that all, how do I know all of this is going to be mine? And this is how the Lord responds. Verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, I don't know about you, but if God told me to do these things, I wouldn't know why God would want me to do this. Okay? Maybe I would, I would be thinking maybe God is going want, wanting to have a feast. That probably be the first thing that crosses my mind. Or maybe, is, am I becoming Noah? Is God bringing me more animals so that, because he's going to flood the earth again? What's going on here? And those are the questions I would be having for God. But you know what? Abram knows exactly what God wants him to do. Check this out. Verse 10. Abram brought all these to him, and he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. What they were doing, Abram was very sure about. When God told him to get these animals, Abram says, oh, I know what God wants me to do. I'm going to get these animals, and I'm going to slaughter them, and I'm going to cut them in half. And what they were, what Abram knew was that they they were about to make a covenant. And we'd be using that word a lot today, covenants. And so, back then, if you were entering into an agreement with somebody, you could make a covenant. Now, we don't have anything like this in in our culture. Uh, When we make an agreement with somebody, many times we shake hands. Sometimes when we want to make it official, we sign a contract. And so when two, when two parties enter into a contract, uh, they both sign. And they say, I agree to do this. And the, other, and the other party says, I agree to do that. And so they sign a contract. My wife and I, when we, when we purchased our first home, we had a mountain of paperwork to sign. Had to sign here, initial there, things like that. Because we were agreeing to all the conditions of 
the, of the partnership that we were making with the seller, the realtor, and the bank. And we're saying, we agree to this. So a covenant is kind of like a contract. Kind of, and I'll tell you why later. A covenant is kind of like a contract. And what would happen is that two parties would enter into an agreement. And what they would do is they would take these animals and they would cut them in half. And they would raise the parts opposite each other. And what that would create is a pathway. A bloody, gory, messy path. And what they would do is that both parties would walk through together. Walk through this pathway together. And that what they were saying when they were walking through this pathway together is that I agree to this. And if I fail in this arrangement, if I, if I don't keep the conditions that we're agreeing on, then I should be like these animals. I should be killed. I should be cursed. I should be torn apart. I should be destroyed, just like these animals were. So this was a very serious contract. On top of that, what they were actually entering into was a partnership, a relationship. And they were saying, we're going to do this together. And both parties were saying, if I fail in this relationship, if I don't live up to what I'm supposed to bring to this partnership, then I should be destroyed like these animals. And so, like I said, it's kind of like a contract, but it's more than a contract. There's a relationship involved. There's partnership involved in a covenant. You know, and some people say that a marriage is a covenant. When my wife and I got married, we agreed, not just that we would be, that, that we would be married, but we, would, we agreed that we would, that we would be in, 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 in relationship with each other for our lives. It's more than just living together and doing business together, isn't it? And so some people say that marriage is a covenant. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this later. And so Abram knows exactly what to do. He takes the animals, he cuts them in half. And then he waits. He waits for God to do the next step. And I don't know about you, but I've waited for God, and sometimes it seems like an eternity. And verse 11 says, the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And maybe that kind of tells us how long Abram waits. And we do know how long Abram waits, because in the very next verse it says, sunset. I want to pause and think about that, because he, God had taken Abram out in the middle of the night to look at the stars, and then now it's sunset again. So remember how long Abram walked and what all the things that probably went through his mind and the kind of faith it took? Think about the kind of faith it took to sit there and wait and chase away the birds of prey while waiting for God to make the next move. And then finally... Verse 12, God turns up. Verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace, and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. 
And so God turns up and he tells Abram, not only that he's, his people are going to have the land, he gives, them, he gives them more details. And he says, for 400 years, your people are not going to be here in this land. Your people are going to another country where they're strangers. And there, they're going to be mistreated, and they're going to be treated like slaves. God tells Abram about what's going to happen in Egypt. And he also says, you're not going to see this. You're going to, you're going to be buried at a good old age, but you're not going to see this. It's your family. That's, this is going to happen to your family. And in the fourth generation, this is how they counted generations back then, fourth generation is 400 years. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, this here meaning the land of Canaan. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now before we move on, I want to I point out something. God punishes two nations here. The first nation is the Egyptians, and the second nation is the Amorites. You see this? God, remember, remember, this is the God that had to wipe out the earth, the flood, and could not tolerate the kind of wickedness at Babel. So God, being a just God, has to respond to wickedness. But I want you to know something else. God waits 400 years before he punishes the Egyptians and the Amorites. And they never repent. God waits a long time. to punish these nations. Anyway, so here we have Abram receiving more details of the promise about the nation. And then something amazing happens. Something completely astounding. Verse 17. When the sun had set, And darkness had fallen. A smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the wadi of Egypt, the great river, to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. God makes the promise specific. He gives details. But I want you to notice what God does when he turns up. Verse 17. A smoking brazier and a blazing torch. And here, God turns up. A brazier is kind of like a, like a pot that you burn things in. You put a fire inside. And you burn or melt things inside. And so God is represented by, by the fire and the smoke, and things that, things that are familiar images of God in the Old Testament. And it's, and it's, this, it's this flaming pot and the, and, the, and the flaming torch that pass through the pieces. Now remember how I said that the, a covenant was, was these parties passing through the pieces to say, I promise this. I promise to be in relationship with you. And if I fail, may I, I, may I be like these pieces. I want you to notice something. God doesn't have Abraham go with him. God goes through by himself. What God is saying by going through the pieces without Abram, 
He's saying, I'm going to keep this promise. You don't have any part to play. No, this is going to happen no matter what. This is an unconditional promise. This is unilateral. There's nothing that Abram has to do. There's nothing that Abram's family has to do. God says, I'm going to keep my promise to you. And then sure enough, we read later on in Genesis that the people do end up in slavery in Egypt. And we read later in the Old Testament that they do enter Canaan, the promised land. So God keeps his promise to Abram that his family is going to enter the land. This is an unconditional promise. Abram doesn't have to do anything. But I haven't even told you the best part yet. I haven't even shown you what God does and why this is so remarkable. Why is God going through the pieces so amazing? God goes through the pieces without Abram. And this is what's so amazing about it. You ready for this? God takes responsibility for this covenant. And he says, if, if I fail in this covenant, that I should be torn apart. But God also goes through for Abram. And he says, he's basically saying, as he's going through the pieces, if you fail, if your family fails, if your nation fails in this relationship, then I should be destroyed. I should be torn apart. I should be the one to die. I'm going to take the responsibility for your people failing. That is what's so amazing about God making this covenant with Abram by himself. And you know what? The people failed. After many years later, after they entered the land, God says, This is what you need to do to keep the land. Follow me, follow my commands, live in relationship with me. And the people fail. Because generations later, they start worshiping other gods. They turn their backs away from God. And then, and then their enemies come in and they bring them off to another nation. They lose the land. They go into exile. The people failed. Remember how I said, remember how I said there's this cycle of decline and reset, here's our decline again. The people declined. They couldn't keep their end of the relationship. They failed in that. And God was torn apart. God was killed. God was destroyed. You see, generations after the exile... God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who lived a life without sin. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we could have eternal life. God, in the form of man, God and man, 
He died on the cross. He died on the cross because the people could not keep the covenants. And so God took responsibility. God took the consequence for Abraham's family. And then, and then people are invited to enter into relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. And because of that, Jesus offers eternal life. But it doesn't end there. It goes beyond Abraham's family. And so, in Romans chapter 4, it says that, it says that we who are not in Abraham's family, we who are not descended from Abraham, can share in this promise because of faith. Not by ethnicity, not by lineage, not because we've descended from Abraham, but because we believe, because we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3, it tells us that, that the Gentiles, people who are not descended from Abraham, people who are not part of Abraham's family, can be part of Abraham's family. Because the blessing that God promised to Abram, remember that promise, that blessing? That blessing to bless other nations happens through Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ and goes to the Gentiles. In Hebrews 11, Abraham, it says Abraham never received what God promised him. He didn't get the land. He didn't get to see it. His descendants did. But it also says that Abram was waiting and looking forward to a city with godly foundations built by God. And we find out that that's fulfilled in the new heaven and new earth. That those who share, that who, those who share the promise get to be with God forever in the new Jerusalem. And we get to be part of Abraham's spiritual family. And so God keeps his promise. We did not. We could not keep this covenant with God. By nature, we are covenant breakers. But God is a covenant keeper. I'm going to say that again. By nature, we are covenant breakers. But God is a covenant keeper. God made a covenant with Abram. And he says, you don't have to do anything. In fact, I'm going to take responsibility for myself and for you. And when Abram's family failed, God took responsibility. When we failed, God took responsibility. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. And we get to be righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb. So let me ask you a question tonight. Are you part of Abraham's family? Are you sharing in the blessing that God made to Abraham a long time ago? 
Because the Bible says all we have to do is believe. All we have to do is place our trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. And we can have eternal life. We can have a relationship with God. And we can enter into this relationship that God made with Abraham. And all it takes is to place your trust in Jesus. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, and you say, I'm part of the body of Christ, that I've believed, and I follow Jesus Christ, then let me ask you this question. If you're anything like me, do you live as if God didn't take that consequence? Do you sometimes live in a way that says, God, I don't believe that God actually paid for my sins. And if you're like me, you have, you have habits of sin like lying and cheating and gossip and pornography. And we live in shame because of this. And we think that, and we think that if we do certain things that God is going to love us again. If we show up to church, how many times? Uh, how many times do I have to do this to make sure? Or how much money do I have to give? Or, or how, much, how, much, how many hours do I need to, to volunteer so that I can be part of God's family again? But if we truly believe that God took the consequence for us, that everything is paid for, that God kept his promise to take responsibility for the broken covenant, then we can live in freedom knowing that our sins are paid for, past, present, and future. And that we can live with boldness as God's people to do his work. Can, can you imagine what it would be like? Imagine what it would be like if all of us could embrace this promise, this unconditional promise that God made with Abraham and he makes with us. He says, I want to be in relationship with you. And we could be in relationship forever. Don't worry about it. I'm taking care of everything. Just follow me. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all embraced this? Can you imagine what we could do together for the kingdom of God? Can you imagine what this church could accomplish if we lived in confidence, knowing that God is taking care of things, and yet we have this message that we could tell other people with. That we have this message that everyone needs to hear. When God made this promise, it was unconditional. And if we share in this promise, then this is an unbreakable, forever covenant. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for these words. And for many of us, this is really hard for us to embrace because we naturally want to do something for you. But we can't do anything for you. Nothing we do is going to be good enough. And so, Lord, would you call us to rest in the promise that you made Thank you for what you showed to Abram. Thank you for what you're showing to us tonight. Pray that you write this word in our hearts. Thank you for this offer of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.